listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Last week, we compared baptism to sitting down at God's table, that God's pulling out a chair for you to sit in. And when you do baptism, you're like sitting down in the chair and getting pushed up to the table. It's saying that you belong to Jesus and it's telling everyone around you that you belong to Jesus. With baptism sitting down at God's table, communion is eating the meal. It's eating the meal with the Lord, something you do over and over. Baptism, hopefully we do once but communion is something we do all the time. And communion goes by many names. Some people call it breaking bread. Some call it the Eucharist. Some would call it mass, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. And all these names are talking about this phenomenon of a ritual that Jesus gave us the night before he was betrayed or the night he was betrayed. On the last supper, Jesus's last meal on earth with his disciples, he gives us the Lord's supper. Look with me at Matthew 26 as we look at it. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When Jesus has this meal, they're having the Jewish Passover meal. It's Passover week, and they're having this special Passover meal as Jesus's final meal on earth. And we must understand the Passover to get the point and the depth of what he is saying that this is my body and this is my blood now. If we miss the Passover, we kind of miss the meal and through that we'll miss communion. And so what is the Passover? The Passover was an annual meal remembering when God passed over the Jews in Egypt. See, the Jewish people had been enslaved for 400 years under cruel Pharaoh in Egypt. And he had even committed a genocide against them. He had treated them terribly. And God's people, the Jews, had cried out to God and said, will you deliver us? Will you save us? And God said, yes. And so he brought nine terrible plagues, telling Pharaoh to let God's people go, let them go worship me. And Pharaoh refused and refused and refused, talking with Moses. And then the 10th plague came. And the 10th plague was the most terrible plague. That the firstborn of every family, including animals, would die in all of Egypt in a night. And he told the Jews, though, follow my instructions. Take a lamb. Kill the lamb. Take the blood. Smear it over the doorpost of your home as a sign of faith that you are covered in the blood, you are protected by the blood and a sign of faith that you have faith in me and I will pass over your household and your firstborn will not die. And so this is what it says in Exodus 12 of the night of the Passover. It says, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance or ritual for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. This is Jesus observing this very ceremony that happened 1,300 or so years earlier in Egypt. 
When you enter the land the Lord will give you his promise, observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony, Passover meal, mean to you? Tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites, that's the Jewish people, in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, the highest seat in the land, the most powerful man on earth at the time, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all of the Egyptians got up during the night and there was a loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go and worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks, take your herds as you have said and go and also bless me. And the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will die. This Passover was an absolutely terrifying event where God triumphed over the evil Pharaoh. Think of him as the king of the known world who worshipped all these strange pagan gods. God also triumphed over all the so-called Egyptian gods they prayed to, the sun god like Ra. And God freed his people to come worship him. So when Jesus is eating this Passover and gives us this ritual of communion, we're meant to connect communion to Jesus in the Passover to grab its deeper meaning. See, Jesus is the true lamb. And it's Jesus's blood that's wiped on the cross for us, just like the door. There is judgment coming. And we do deserve death like the Egyptians, for we are no better than them. Our sins are different. They're from different places, different times, but it's the same pride, the same greed, the same evil and lust and hate. And Jesus' blood was spilled on the cross to cover us in the day of judgment to come. So we wouldn't be judged like the Egyptians, but rather could join God's people, the Jewish people like the Exodus, and be saved. We're not freed from Pharaoh's enslavement today. There is no Pharaoh. But we're freed from the enslavement of sin. Freed from the power of the devil over us. And we're freed from the finality of death itself. See, Jesus' sacrifice as the true and final lamb is what's happening. He's telling his disciples to observe this ritual to continue to celebrate the gospel as he's even eating the Passover lamb. He will be the Passover lamb on the cross the next day. Understanding the Passover, let's go back to what Jesus actually said in verse 26. Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. When he takes and rips open that bread, he's telling them, I too will be ripped apart for you. Jesus will end as a bloody mess on the cross, likely in the nude. Sometimes they even 
crucified people backwards because it was just too much to look at someone's face of how bloody and painful it would be. And just as the lamb could not live in the Exodus, so Jesus, our lamb, must die for our sins. In verse 27, it expands and he gives thanks again. Look what it says in 27, it says, Jesus took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Who is this bread and drink for? It's for all of us. It's for all who sit at the table of God, for all who belong to Jesus. This bread, Jesus' body, this wine, Jesus' blood, it's for you. It's God's gift to you. Just as in the Old Testament, a covenant, the promises God made, they were sealed by the blood. So this time in the new covenant, the new promises between God and man are sealed with Jesus' precious blood. This is what makes our faith work, church. And Jesus' blood is poured out explicitly for our forgiveness. It's poured out for you. That many is everyone who believes. If you are a follower of Jesus, when you take communion, you are celebrating. My God bled for me. That's what it says in Acts 20. It talks about the literal blood of God. And it's for you. And sometimes that's the greatest journey of our heart, that Jesus died for the whole world, and and we know that in our head. But to let it sink down to say, Jesus actually died for me. It's 18 inches from the head to our heart, but it can be a lifetime of journey to see it's actually for you and for our sins. Not hypothetical, but as real as Jesus' body. When Jesus dies, he dies for us and he resurrects after three days so that we know the payment for sins was accepted. He conquers over death to show us and is truly Jesus' right to give away his blood and body to his church. Communion celebrates the gospel. It helps us remember to slow down and treasure and to literally savior that we have a great savior for us. But just like the Jewish people at the Passover, this promise of forgiveness, this covering of blood, it's accessed by faith. The Jews had to kill the lamb and wipe the blood over the door. Now the lamb of God, Jesus has been killed, but we must repent of sin and turn from it and place our faith in the blood too. You can know this intellectually. You can know it sentimentally, but you must know it personally and actually to be part of the people covered by the blood of God. You must choose to put your faith in Jesus's shed blood for you. It's Jesus' blood over the door of our life. That's how you become a Christian. That's what the gospel is, that Jesus, the lamb, saves me. And this ritual can be done rightly and receive great benefit, the ritual of communion. But it also, Scripture warns, can be done wrongly and be of great detriment or great harm in your life. Because this is a spiritual ritual with the living God given by the living God. Just as fire is an incredible gift to warm all of humanity and produce advancement in mankind's technology, But fire outside of the pit, outside of the fireplace, it'll just burn the house down. And it's the very same with a ritual if you're going to interact with the living God. 
And the Apostle Paul explains how to take communion in a local church in both an unworthy way and how to take it in a worthy way. Now, the Corinthian church, that's just a town in ancient Greece. They were a bunch, some had come from a Jewish background and understood the whole Passover deal. Some were from a Greek background and probably had no understanding of the whole Passover deal. But they both had to come to the table and do this ritual, do communion together. And look what 1 Corinthians 11 verse 27 says. It's going to start with an unworthy way of taking the Lord's table or communion because the Corinthian church wasn't getting it right. They were having all sorts of problems. They weren't kind to each other. They didn't share. Some were getting kind of drunk at church. They were having all sorts of issues. We think like, oh, the early church, they just nailed everything. They got everything right. It's like, well, they were having the same problems that we're having. All people need Jesus. And that's what you find in the New Testament. Look what it says. It says, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Okay, so what's an unworthy manner? Let a person examine himself then, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So a worthy manner includes examination. An unworthy manner means to just take the table flippantly, to take it unimportantly, to take it casually. We are called to examine ourselves. If we take communion while harboring sin in our heart, which is unconfessed, known sin in our life, If we come to the table, which says, Lord, I belong to you, but we actually are hanging on to sin in our life, that is an unexamined life. That is a life that is not considering closely who we are before the Lord. We're failing to respect communion for what it is, an interaction with the living God. And that's the unworthy way to take communion because it's dishonesty to not deal truthfully with the living God who knows all. God already knows. Whatever unrepented or unconfessed sin we have in our life to come to the table and not choose to repent it, not choose to confess it to the Lord. Well, God already knows. He's not waiting for you to let him in on the secret. It's the safest place in the world to talk to God about our sin. That's what he died for. And to take communion without confession and repentance is to take communion without examination and to take it in an unworthy way manner. When we take the bread and wine, we obey Jesus and say, I belong to you. I trust you like the lamb's blood on the door. I'm placing my faith in you. But if we're harboring sin, continuing in sin, then we are choosing to love sin over God. The root of sin is loving, needing, trusting something more than God. The root of sin is loving, needing, or trusting something more than God. So verse 29 tells us to take communion in an unworthy way before the Lord is to bring judgment on ourselves. Look at the consequences of that judgment. Verse 31 says, That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if if we judged ourselves truly, if we examined ourselves, We would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined 
so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Communion is our ritual of repentance and faith towards a very real very real and present Christ. To take it flippantly is to ignore God and his power. To take it unworthy is to be dishonest before God. It might result in spiritual weakness, physical weakness, illness, or even death. And I know this is radical teaching. This is the teaching of the Bible because for us in our modern mind, we put spiritual stuff like way over here, our physical life way over here, our interactions with people and like our work is like down here and our like thought life is like over here. And in the Bible, it will have none of that. You're just one person, one whole person. Every part of you and every part of your life affects everything else. And to deny that the spiritual has any impact on your physical well-being is to have a fake faith. Why? Because Jesus died in a real body. A real lambs were slaughtered. Jesus really rose again in a real body and is coming back in a real body to save you in your actual body. The chemicals in your brain that build out our thought life, all real, all accountable to God. That's how we believe with our mouth and our tongue, as Romans 10 says. We have an embodied faith, not a hypothetical one, not a theoretical one. It's not just a a mindset. No, it's an embodied faith. And that's why it bothers us to read passages like this, because it's almost like the spiritual pierces through into our life and says, hey, this is really connected. It's all connected. And so he lets them know the consequences that apparently in this church had gotten to a place that people were getting ill and even dying over taking the table in a flippant or unworthy manner. Your whole life affects you as a whole person. Compartmentalization works only in our mind, but it doesn't work before the Lord. To to have a great spirituality doesn't mean you fix everything in your life, but it does mean that God will be with you in everything in your life. To live dishonestly before the Lord and take communion and not repent of ongoing sin is a dangerous game, church. That's the best way I can put it. I don't know what this consequence of this, but it just says that's a dangerous game to play before the Lord. Communion is a time for correction from the Lord in order to grow and encourage us not condemn us. We shouldn't fear the table in the way that like, man, I don't know. I just never want to take that table again. If there's these kind of consequences, instead, we should be eager to say, Lord, examine, search me, know me as the psalmist says, look into my heart and mind, help me grow and repent of anything in my life. Maybe anything in the past week, anything that that was wrong, help me confess and grow from these things and take the table and strength. Communion's this time for correction. If we judge ourselves truly, we join God in the process of making us holy, making us like him in this life. It leads to helpful discipline. The goal of communion on Sunday isn't to present to God your sinless week and say, ha, now communion's my great reward. By no means. The goal is to come needy for Jesus on Sunday to come needy of Jesus on Sunday, to receive communion as a precious gift of encouragement that God hasn't given up for you. And this table is only for sinners. 
It's only for people who've trusted Christ and see their great need for Jesus. You come to the table with the neediness of, Lord, I need the gospel more now than I've ever have before. Maybe once upon a time, it was about maybe having too much to drink or, or looking at this and that. And as you grow, your sins start to be, Lord, I'm really prideful. Lord, I don't really listen to anybody. Lord, I'm kind of a jerk when I'm tired and it's starting to affect my kids and my relationship with them. The sins get deeper and bigger as we grow in Christ and we start to look deeper into our hearts. The worthy way to take communion is to examine ourselves and come needy to a perfect Jesus for forgiveness and healing. Your sins are a problem that God can solve. He wants you to come to the table saying, Lord, I need you. To take the table incorrectly is to take it proudly. No one comes to the table in pride, but only on their knees. Martin Luther, who began the Reformation by nailing the 95 Thesis onto the church door at Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, he nails it to the door. He's, he's looking to reform the church, start the Protestant movement. His very first thesis, his first line of what must change says this, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. If you are in a healthy place in your faith, you are a regular repenter saying, I need God and I'm turning from sin to the living God. That is the heart of what it looks like. To ask how your faith is going is really to ask how easily and deep is repentance coming in your life? To ask how your faith is going is to know and see how easily and deeply is repentance coming into your life. How quickly are you turning back from sin into the gracious arms of a glorious Christ? How rich is the grace of forgiveness you're receiving in your life? Communion is a weekly accountability to live the gospel together. And that's the magic of the local church. When people start to say, I want to live the gospel together. I want to examine ourselves together. I want us to walk up and take together, just like the church of Corinth, just like the disciples at the table, that we would say over and over and over, we need Jesus. And Jesus was waiting with open arms for me. I love that it's over there waiting for us. From the moment you walk in till you take it, church, it's for you. Because I know I have sin and you have sin. And if we trust Christ, that table's for us to keep drinking deep of Jesus's blood and of his body for us. See, the church only moves forward by faith and repentance. There's no other way. The growth of citizens is our growth in our individual and corporate repentance and faith towards Christ. That is what makes us deeper and healthier and more like Jesus as the weeks and months and years roll by. We must live out a big gospel for broken people because there's only a big gospel and we only have broken people. When we make the gospel small, we miss Jesus altogether. When we act like we're not broken, we miss ourselves altogether when Jesus stands with open arms. So here's how we take the bread and the wine at Citizens. First, we take communion weekly to form us. There, you literally do hundreds of rituals throughout your week 
from making your coffee to making your breakfast to buying your groceries to driving your car to where you live to the clothes you wear everything we do we think it's so random it's not random at all <laughs> take january of last year probably looks a lot like january of this year unless you've been through a major life transition and even then there's so many rituals that you do throughout your life well this is a ritual to form us in our need for Jesus and this grace freely given. There's this sense in the New Testament that communion is done often. And when Christians gather in Corinthians and Acts 2, you see them taking communion. So we do it weekly because it's a precious ritual in a largely intangible and invisible faith in a digital world. We need to ground ourselves in reality. We need these tactile things we can feel to grab onto this faith in an invisible God. We need it. I need it. Why would we want less of a very good thing? Usually the argument is like, well, you know, it's a hassle to like cut the bread and put out the wine. It's no hassle. <laughs> that is a pragmatism argument. And pragmatism is great for getting things done, but it's really bad at forming souls. Because souls are the most precious thing in the universe. So let's feed our souls with communion. Second, we take communion together with unity as a body. Communions, confession, and repentance includes within the body of believers at citizens. A great scripture to consider here is Matthew 5, 23 through 24. It says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, talking about at the temple, people would come and bring gifts to the altar, but it applies here as well. And there, remember that your brother has something against you. So you're coming up to the temple, you're leaving a gift for God, but then you remember Joe down the street is very mad at me. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift and worship God. In the very same way, if you've sinned against another member or another person in your life, go and be reconciled before taking communion. That is the thing to help examine. How have I sinned against God and how have I sinned against others? Don't come to enjoy reconciliation with God, offering a gift, taking communion without first being at peace with the people in your life. Now, sometimes you can't help it, but you should have made an attempt at peace in your life, especially if you've sinned against someone. That would be taking the table in an unworthy way to miss that we have not loved others well. And I want to give you some examples. I remember vividly uh, being in a big argument on a Saturday night with my wife. This is used with her permission uh, about several years ago. Uh, I was working at church at Sojourn and I had to be at church at 6 a.m. I was on staff there and we'd had a big argument on a Saturday night and I had to get up before the rest of the family head to church. And so we didn't get a chance to really talk about it or resolve it or me really confess and repent of the parts of the fight that weren't great that my tone wasn't great, my points weren't great, selfish, all the things. So service starts, my wife rolls in at 8.30 service, we attend the service, and the Lord just kind of hit me on, on the back as we rolled toward the communion. It's like, hey man, this isn't for you. You have not worked it out with Elena. And while we were kind and cordial to each other and doing church, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, hey, let's, let's cool it on communion because we did not love each other. We did not work it out. We are not reconciled to each other. We'll get communion next week. And it was kind of a big thing for us because we were mature enough in our faith to long for communion to say, yeah, I want to be reconciled and at peace with everyone in my life to the extent I can before taking the table. 
we, we end up making, uh, making up. We're good. Me and Elena. <laughs> Way to go, babe. I'll take communion today. You can watch. Um, another time I was worshiping um, and communion time came around and I was kind of just examining myself, praying. And I had a guy just tap me on the shoulder. He was a friend of mine. And he's like, hey, can we talk? And pulled me to the back of sanctuary. I was like, what's up, man? And uh, he just said, hey, man, I need to talk. Like God's laid on my heart to not take communion until we're reconciled. I was like, what are you talking about, man? And he just looked me in the eyes and he had tears streaming out his face. He goes, I'm full of jealousy and hate for you. He goes, I speak ill of you. I'm jealous of your family. I'm jealous of ministry stuff on and on. And it both broke my heart for him and was a lot to take in. It was a friend of mine. You know, it wasn't like arch nemesis or some Bond villain. No, he was a real dude. By the end, I got to look him in the face and say, I forgive you. And let's talk about this more later. You know, no one wants cheap reconciliation. I was able to, in a small way, extend the forgiveness that God gives us in a giant way for him to take communion and, and, and have a bigger conversation later about let's work on this relationship. But that's the power of communion. It's a check-in between you and the Lord. It's also a check-in on all your relationships. Most of us get in the most trouble in our life by not being attentive to our relationships until they absolutely fall off into the ditch and the car's on fire. We don't need to be that people. We can be a people who takes communion and takes the Lord and our relationships seriously. The third thing we do here at Citizens, we take it weekly. We take it together as a body. And third, we take it as needy people looking to Christ who welcomes us. No one comes to the table proud. We come with our great need. Remember, communion is for believers coming with their needs. That is the worthy way. Asking for more of God, asking for more grace, asking for more forgiveness to strengthen us. So practically, I want you pragmatically, I want you to have a plan. All right. So when I pray for us and we have that kind of elongated space where maybe Shayla's playing some killer music or Charlie or someone, and you're like, all right, when do I go take the table? I want to give you a plan, some instructions so that doesn't feel like a nebulous time or a difficult time of, am I praying enough or what should I do or what should I think? And it's very simple. Here's the plan. If you don't have one, I want you to look in, look out and look around. The look in is examine yourself. Just look at your past week, look at your life and say, Lord, have I sinned in any way I need to confess? Maybe one's on top of your mind. You're like, I already know, Justin, that's a short prayer. Some of us might need a little time. Some of us might do a little too much introspection. So cut it off eventually. It's not just a, you know, don't, don't, don't have the plane crash. You know, a little introspection is good for all of us. Too much can get a little, little too dark. So examine yourself. And one examination I would do is to examine with the word preached. Be present to right here. We just talked about the scriptures. Did God bring up anything through his scriptures or liturgy or songs that you go, yeah, Lord, help me grow in that. I confess, man, I I don't trust you like I should. I don't X like I should. I've taken the table flippantly. That might be your prayer right now. So that's the end. Look at yourself. For one look at yourself, you need to look out 10 looks at Christ or you're going to drown. 
One look at self, 10 looks at Christ to see Jesus as the only solution that this is not to torture you, but to bring you closer to Jesus who stands ready and waiting with open arms. Communion is not torture, but should be a terrific delight in the life of a believer to a God who invites you to the table and invites you to eat again and again. He wants to see you grow up healthy and strong. There's more to this faith than just initially believing, but to go deeper and deeper with our sufferings, sins against us, and to go through the sins that have conquered us and no longer be conquered by them. So that's in, that's out. And then around, I want you to be encouraged as you see people snake around to be encouraged to watch other people follow Christ. Have you ever thought about that? That you, sometimes you feel alone in your faith or lonely? To watch other people worship God with all their heart or watch them take the bread and wine? Just to be encouraged. Look around. And if you've examined yourself, know these are a bunch of people I'm at peace with that I must be encouraged with as they follow Jesus. If you're not at peace, it's a time to go make it right. But look in, look out, look around, and then you're ready to take the table. It's just a simple plan to feel ready. There's no moving forward as citizens without being a people of repentance and a culture of grace. Our strength is not our buildings. It's not our budgets. It's not bodies crammed into a space that makes us strong. No citizen strength is measured in our obedience to God's word. And this is a way we can obey today to let this wall in the house we're building be a strong one so that you can join God in the work in your life. Our weaknesses are paths to greater grace if we will choose repentance and faith. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.